Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast, so we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thanks, Doug. Well, in checking elsewhere around North Dakota, anglers continue enjoying success on Devil's Lake, although it seems smaller fish are showing up more often than larger walleye. Work the weed beds with slip bobbers, moving out to as deep as 25 feet using bottom bouncers and night crawlers or crankbaits for larger fish. Minnewaukan Flats and Howard's Bay are garnering a lot of attention. Generally, success probably slowed a little because of weather fronts and warm temperatures, but it's, it's still fair. Perch are probably an angler's best bet on Lake Ashtabula. Farther west, Lake Sakakawea remains fair to good, although it too probably slowed a tad bit. Work deeper water in 25 to 35 feet with improving success using crankbaits or lead core on the east end of Lake Sakakawea for walleye. Try Douglas Bay towards the west, and it seems the slower reports are from the east end areas like probably Stanky Bay. The Van Hook Arm is still producing fish, although it too isn't quite as fast and furious as it was earlier, and larger walleye are still coming from the southern end of the arm. But the west end of Lake Sakakui is now seeing better activity, and anglers will also want to work from Pick City to the west along the south shore for walleye. One thing that's happening with a bit more regularity is an increase in salmon anglers and salmon numbers along the south shore by the dam. Work east towards Government Bay over towards Dead Man's Bay. This is the time of the year when salmon anglers could expect to see improving numbers, usually, but not always. Even so, it is starting to pick up a little bit. Work deeper for walleye in Lake Audubon in 30-plus feet, but the bite's inconsistent, and most anglers continue focusing on the big water of Sakakawea. The Missouri River tail race remains slow for walleye, but there's some nice catfish success during the day from boats, and the night bite from the rocks slowed for walleye. And finally, swan applications are now available, and while the deadline isn't until August 15th, don't procrastinate too long. Time out. Make that August 17th. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then, and not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Scott McIntoon, he is with the Minnesota DNR. He is a fisheries manager in the Hutchinson area. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on this morning. 
you know, I've, I've been following you on social media and you are out there doing all kinds of things in the outdoors. You not only is, is it your career, but it's also your hobby and it's really fun to watch. So um, kudos to that, which kind of led us to this interview. We've been chatting for a while about, you know, what we could talk about because you have so much experience at numerous different things. And, uh, you know, just for our listeners, know, I had a question here the other day about how holding large fish, the best way to hold large fish. So I asked you about it, then you gave me a great answer. And I figured, well, let's talk about that for a little bit. You know, it seems like I've been seeing a lot of my social media friends and even in our boat this year, we've caught more larger fish of all kinds of different species than what we normally do, which is great, you know, which, which is a great problem to have. But, you know, how do you hold them? How do you, you know, generally we want to let these fish go. What's the best way to treat these fish to make sure that, uh, you know, a day after we let them go, they're going to be in just as good a shape as uh, the you know, when we caught them. So let's start out with some of the basics. If we catch a big fish, we get it up to the top of the water. What's the first thing we should do? Well, great question. I'll, I'll just echo that, you know, we get it a fair amount. And, you know, one of the prefaces that I give to folks that call, call me at the office or, or talk to me elsewhere or message me is uh, it's, it's very, uh, valuable territory to land anything in Minnesota's fishing regulation synopsis. It's really boiled down. It's hard to get into that real estate. So the, the catch and release fish handling tips are pretty basic and pretty minimal. And one of the things we've talked about internally is can we provide better guidance for large fish? And kind of to that end, um, the Badette Fisheries Office has put some information on their webpage. I've seen other states and provinces provide some of this content. You're starting to see it a little bit more. And our Minnesota catfish technical team actually put together a video last year that that uh, finally got uploaded to, to YouTube just a handful of months ago. And there's some pretty good tips. So I can to answer your question, I think the starting point is before you ever get in the boat, and I know a lot of musky anglers like to talk about this, is having proper gear. Uh, we talk about in fishing this balance of lure, line, uh, rod, everything that you're running being perfectly balanced. And, you know, we, we like to target something to, to maximize the sport or the, the fight, you know, which may be fish with an ultralight because we're going to feel a little bit more rather than going out there with a cue stick. But realistically, you want to have gear that's sized to that fish so you're not completely wearing the fish out. You're, you're adequate for handling it. And you have proper release tools. Uh, that could be a side cutter. Uh, that can be a plier, just having everything ready to go and having your equipment ready and being properly sized for the fish. Once you do hook up with that fish of a lifetime, uh, there's a few other tips that go with that. The biggest one is minimizing handling time and keeping that fish in the water for the greatest extent possible. Any hooking mortality studies that are done are really paying attention to that handling time. The longer that you handle the fish, uh, out of sight of the water, kind of the more detrimental it is, right? And obviously the deeper the fish is hooked, the more uh, um, injurious that it can be. So keep that fish in the water, minimize the handling time. That means for a lot of folks with real big fish is keeping that net uh, in the water, trying to unhook from there and just being as quick as possible with measurements uh, and photos. So uh, that's the biggest the biggest takeaway. Um, wet hands is a big one. I know Trout Unlimited is really pushing this keep them wet movement. You see it on social media. 
the idea being keep those fish wet as long as possible, wet your hands, put on a pair of wet gloves. A lot of folks don't realize how critically important that fish's slime coat is. Um, you know, that, that slime coat is not only allowing that fish to move quickly and easily through the water, right? It, it aids in locomotion, but it's also its protective coating for both bacterial and fungal infections. And it's an it's a defense mechanism for being grabbed the hold of by something. So it serves a lot of purposes. We want to keep that slime coat intact. So by wetting our hands, not dropping them on the carpet in our boat and, or handling them with dry hands or dropping them on the riverbank where they can uh, get all dirty, that's going to protect that slime coat. And then kind of the final piece is holding that fish properly. Um, when we're, and especially where the root of this question came from is the idea that we want to avoid uh, those vertical holds and, and make sure we're going with horizontal holds. Uh, if you're doing vertical, you can put stress on the jaws. You can kind of compress those internal organs, uh, mess around with, those, with the connective tissue. Just think for a minute about those big fish. The bigger they get, they stop growing, you know, east and west, and they start growing more north and south, kind of like people, right? We start getting those beer bellies. Well, you, you know, if, if you think about how dense the medium of water is, it's helping hold up and support that fish we take them out of that dense medium into the air and there's a lot of sag there that can be really difficult for fish and that's something you're seeing um, probably more study of and, and coming out in the literature but that stress that is put on internal organs and connective tissue the last kind of one i'll throw in there is you know have that camera ready to take that picture as quickly as possible and when you're releasing this fish i've had this question come up a few times a lot of folks think they want to do the back and forth movement of the fish to stimulate water through the gills the gills actually work in one direction right all well, fish are only swimming in one direction they're not going back and forth the gills are actually designed for that counter current exchange to occur in one direction so you want to be continuously moving them forward that's easier to do in a river system but in a lake try to do a little s curve swimming them back and forth so that water is going through the mouth and into the gills and not backwards through the gills and out the mouth. So one way direction on how the gills function. So that was a lot to throw at you, but a bit on proper fish handling. Scott, that is just absolutely fantastic advice for folks. I hope people were taking notes. One question I have, uh, obviously while you're getting stuff ready, while you're getting your camera out and, and whatnot, you know, the bottom of the boat is not the place for that fish to be waiting. You mentioned keeping it in the net alongside the boat or in the riverbank. I've seen some people put it in the live well, then take it out, take the picture, and then release it. From a regulatory standpoint, is that allowed in Minnesota, or do we need to focus on having it in the net? No, that is permitted. That was clarified a handful of years ago. Uh, we have language in, in law about immediately release, but immediately release will allow uh, for lawful capture and, and photo. That was clarified a handful of years ago. So yes, you can put it in the live well just in order to take a quick picture. Obviously, if enforcement is following you and they see you, they're going to want to see you move quickly and get that photo um, and not retain it for too long. It's not a, a get out of jail free card, but um, move quickly and get a picture of that fish have that camera dialed up um you know have some something ready to go to to get it done and i'll just throw it out there that catch photo release works there's a heck of a lot of evidence out there that fish is uh, as lee wolf uh, once said uh, game fish is too valuable to be caught once we've got a lot of great evidence of a lot of different species from unique markings on fish where they've been caught uh time and time again that we know that catch and release works 
You know, Scott, I really wish we would add more time because uh, during this conversation, I've come up with about six more questions that I've never thought of before. Um, but we'll have to get to them another day. Scott, if people want to get out, get more information about this subject, where can they go? Sure, mndnr.gov and uh, and surf surf on over to the YouTube page and search for large fish handling guidance. We've got a great video from a couple years ago. Uh, Well, it was just put out three months ago, but uh, check that video out for the same sort of tips and a little more background and some demonstrations on handling large fish. That's awesome. Thanks for coming on Gone Outdoors, sir. Thank you, guys. Special thanks to our Gun Outdoor Show sponsors, Ray Sport Marine, Adventure RV, Lakeland General Store, Devil's Lake Tourism, and thank you for tuning in to Gun Outdoors. Well, it is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.